0: Welcome to the Equip podcast from Cornerstone Church of Ames. This is a new podcast that we have designed to help you live a gospel-fueled life. We want you to be faithful in the places that Jesus has called you to, and we hope that this podcast is an encouragement and help to you as you tune into it. This week, what we want to talk about is Evidence for the Resurrection. I'm recording this on April the 7th of Easter week of 2020, and it is a week that is the most uncertain Easter week that I can remember uh, in my lifetime. So much chaos, so much uncertainty, but what I want to do today is I want to focus on something that's absolutely not changing, and that is the reality of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. You know, a few years ago, I was actually at one of the Easter services at Cornerstone, and met a Chinese seeker who had come to that service, and they had questions about what it meant to be a Christian and what it meant to follow Christ. And I asked them, I said, so have you decided to follow Jesus yet? Are you uh, are you bought into the idea of being a follower of Christ? And her answer was very honest. She said, actually, um, no, I still don't know if this is real or if this is just a fairy tale. I love the music and I appreciate your preaching, but I just don't know if I can follow Jesus. And my question back to her that Easter Sunday was simply this. I said, you know, you may have questions about an awful lot of things in the Christian faith, but the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 15, Paul writes that he delivered to us that which is of first importance, namely that Christ died, that he was buried, and that he rose again. So I said to her, all Scripture is equally true, but the Bible says not all of the Bible is equally important. Did you notice that? It said there's something of first importance, of primary importance to the Christian faith. That is the truth of the resurrection of Jesus. So my question to you this Easter Sunday is not, do you accept everything that you've ever read in the Old Testament? Can you reconcile all of that? My question to you is this, do you believe that Jesus Christ of Nazareth rose from the dead? What do you think about the resurrection? So I left her with that question that Sunday. Actually, a couple months later, oddly, I was in the cleaning aisle in Walmart, and she came up to me, and she said, oh, hey, Pastor Mark, good to see you here. So I have been studying Christianity and reading about the resurrection. I've come to the conclusion that Jesus did rise from the dead, and therefore, I am now a Christian. So thank you very much for your questions. Have a good day. And then she just walked right past me. And I think that is so powerful. Because what she did was she studied and thought about that which is of first and central importance to the Christian faith. Namely, is the evidence for the resurrection solid? Like, what I want to say today is I cannot prove to you, I cannot prove to anyone, I don't even think we should try to prove to people that Christianity is all the way true. You can't prove people into faith in Jesus. That's a work of God's Spirit. What I can do is I can demonstrate the reasonable evidence evidence for the historical reality of the resurrection. And in demonstrating it, what I hope to do is just cause people to pause and to reflect and to go, I need a reasonable explanation for what these historical facts tell me. I need to ask what this evidence means. And so what I want to do is I want to walk you through three key lines of evidence about why this uncertain Easter week, you can have certainty in the reality of the resurrection. Now, that's where we're going to go, three certain lines of evidence. But before we get there, let's just pause quickly, and I want to answer a question that we might not normally ask, which is this, what exactly is resurrection? The reason I pause and ask that question is because most people answer that question like this. They go, what is resurrection? Oh, it's life after death. And that answer, while partially true, is incomplete, because technically speaking, When the Bible talks about resurrection, it's not talking so much about life after death. It's talking about life after life after death. Okay, let me explain that. What I mean, life after life after death. If you were to die and you're a believer who knows Jesus, the Bible says to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. You would die and go to heaven to be with God, but you would not in that state of life after death, be resurrected. Do you follow? You are truly alive after death. Resurrection is the life that happens in your physical body, in the physical world, after your life after death. So you would die, you would go, let's imagine it, up to heaven to be with God. But the ultimate hope of the Christian faith is that one day, when Jesus returns to earth as a physical king over this physical world, we would return with him and be reunited with our physical bodies. That rising to new life after life after death is what the Bible means when it talks about resurrection. So resurrection is life after life after death. And centrally, it's not just them being raised from the dead. Jesus in the Gospels. He raises Lazarus from the dead. He's dead, he says, Lazarus come forth. Lazarus was raised from the dead, but he wasn't resurrected because he then later died. Lazarus, the the biblical definition of resurrection is not what happened to Lazarus, but what happened to Jesus. Jesus was raised from the dead to a new life after life after death and that new resurrection life is unending. There is no end to it. So resurrection is our ultimate hope. It is a life after life after death, and it is a life that is unending and will never die. That's our ultimate destination. If you're a Christian, you're not ultimately destined to die and then go be an angelic being in some far off heaven. Your ultimate destination is to have a resurrected physical body in a new heavens and new earth that is perfect. Jesus' resurrection is what the Bible calls the first fruits of that. It is the first of more resurrection life to come. And so his resurrection is our ultimate hope. That's the hope and the certainty of the Christian. Now, why do we know if his resurrection is the first fruits of what's coming— Why do we know with confidence that he was actually physically raised from the dead? Now we get to evidence for the resurrection, and I want to talk to you about three critical lines of evidence for the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Three places of certainty you can put your hope in an uncertain time. Here's the first one. The first is there's an empty tomb in Jerusalem. It is the geography of the empty tomb that matters so much. Now, Jesus was verified by Romans, according to the gospel accounts, as having died. It's significant that the Romans verify him as dead because Romans were experts in execution. They didn't mess that up. They were used to executing insurrectionists. They placed him into a tomb. And according to the Christian gospel accounts, later the followers of Jesus showed up at that tomb to anoint his body, only to find the stone rolled away from the entrance of that tomb in an empty tomb in Jerusalem. They then went around telling people in Jerusalem that Jesus had died in Jerusalem, been buried in Jerusalem by the Romans, but then rose from the dead. They had seen him. Now, all of that, this epicenter of Christianity, is Jerusalem. Why is that so significant? Because if you wanted to kill the movement of early Christianity to nip it in the bud, and you're in Jerusalem, and Jesus hadn't been raised, you know all you have to do? You just have to show people the tomb and the body. In other words, if you're going to start a rumor that someone is raised from the dead, you don't do it across the street from the cemetery where they're buried, because they can prove you wrong instantly. They go, That's not true. That guy's burial grounds is right across the street. If you want to start a rumor that there's an empty tomb, you don't do it in the town where the real tomb is. That's the point of this first line of reasoning. That the story of early Christianity spread, namely that Jesus was raised from the dead, started in the very town where all of those events are said to have happened. If you were going to make that story up, the one place in the world where you couldn't do it is Jerusalem, because that's the one place in the world where all the evidence was that would prove you wrong. So the first piece of resurrection evidence that has helped me so much in my confidence in the resurrection of Christ is an empty tomb in Jerusalem, in Jerusalem. Second critical piece of evidence that we look to is the post-resurrection physical appearances of Christ. So in this one, 1 Corinthians 15, and what Paul writes is really critical. Paul says 1 Corinthians 15 verses 5 to 8, I'm going to read them to you. He says, he appeared to Cephas, that's the name for Peter, then to the other 12, the disciples. Then he appeared to over 400 brothers at one time. Most of them are still alive. Some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James. Then last of all, or then to all of the apostles, then verse 8, last of all, as to one abnormally born, he also appeared to me, to Paul. Okay. So in that sequence of four verses, in 1 Corinthians 15, Paul lists a bunch of people who saw Jesus alive physically after he died physically. Paul lists them as Peter, the 12 apostles, then more than 500 And then there's this weird addition to that phrase of more than 500. He says, by the way, many of them are still alive. Now, that phrase, many of them are still alive, is actually pretty significant. Many New Testament scholars tell us this is actually a form of ancient footnoting. In effect, what Paul's saying is those people are still alive. So just in case you want to know, you could go and check with them and verify that they saw him alive. You can go check my facts out. And also, I want you to note, the group that Paul lists is a very diverse group. In fact, all throughout the New Testament, they don't just list one bunch of people who saw Jesus at one time, but there's different people from different backgrounds who see Jesus in different places. Elsewhere in the Gospels, for instance, in the Gospel accounts, the first witnesses to the resurrection are women, Mary, who shows up at the tomb. That's quite interesting. Because in the first century, the testimony of a woman was actually not allowed inside of a court of law. It, it was considered historically like somewhat useless. Now, that might seem like a weird thing for me to point out, but here's why I point that out. If you were making up the story of the resurrection, you would never list women as the first witnesses because their testimony would be counterproductive in the first century you would have first gone to men. But that's not what the Gospels do. They first list women. Counterproductive facts are the sort of things you don't insert into a made-up story. The the other thing to note here is there's more counterproductive people in the list that Paul lists. Paul goes on in verse 7, he says he appeared to James. James there is the younger brother of Jesus. And we know from the Gospel writings that James, while Jesus was alive, in his physical ministry, James thought Jesus was crazy. He did not acknowledge Jesus, and he was not a follower of Jesus while Jesus was doing his earthly ministry in Israel. It was only after Jesus had died that James started following his brother as the king of the universe. Okay, so you have to ask the question, what exactly happened that caused James to go from thinking Jesus was a lunatic to thinking he was the Lord of heaven and earth? The only reasonable explanation I can come up with is that he saw him alive after he died. Then the last person that Paul mentions in his list is actually himself. He says, last of all, Jesus appeared to me also. The mention of Paul as a witness to the living Christ Is significant because a lot of times what people say is, well, the story of Jesus raised was a kind of story that the disciples they were utterly distraught, and so to help their emotional state, they came up with the story that Jesus was raised, it made them feel better, and then they kind of perpetuated that myth. So, in other words, the followers of Jesus made up the story of the resurrection because it helped them feel better. What we know for certain is in the case of the Apostle Paul. Him believing he had met the risen Jesus did not make him feel better. It ruined his life. Paul was a fervent opponent of early Christianity and a student in the rabbinical school of Gamaliel. So when Paul says, I just saw Jesus as Lord, it means he is switching teams entirely. He's going from one direction to the exact opposite. And everything that he had done in his life headed that direction now is ruined by his new testimony that Jesus Christ is Lord of Lords and King of Kings. There's no compelling reason for Paul to switch teams unless he saw Jesus. That's the only explanation. So, I summarize it to say this. The second line of evidence is post-resurrection physical appearances to witnesses. And the diverse group of witnesses really helps to strengthen that historical argument. So, you have an empty tomb in Jerusalem. You have post-resurrection physical appearances to a diverse group of witnesses. And then there's a third line of reasoning that I find really compelling, and that is the utter uniqueness of the resurrection story. Now, for this one, I owe the research on this to N. T. Wright, a scholar who wrote a huge, like thousand-page book called The Resurrection of the Son of God. We will link to this in the show notes. Most of you should not attempt to read it. It is a work of grace that somehow I was even able to finish that book. Now Let me summarize the argument of that 1,000-page book in about a minute and a half, if possible. Here's what N.T. Wright says. He says, All throughout the Gospels, when you see the story of what people do when they first encounter the living Christ, they are totally shocked when they meet him. Even though he had told them in his life, Hey, you should expect me to rise from the dead after three days. They never were prepared for it. Why is that? Why is it that the historical reality of the resurrection was a total shock? The simple answer is, in the first century, no one ever conceived of the Messiah, God's chosen king, rising to life after death in the middle of human history, Wright's central article argument in The Resurrection of the Son of God is that the Messiah, God's promised king, dying in the middle of human history is a concept no one in Jewish history or any other school of theology had ever thought of before we see it written in the Gospels by the writers. Therefore, the most likely historical explanation of how the New Testament writers wrote that account of the resurrection of Jesus is that it actually happened. So let me explain a little more. In Jewish thought, when people die, they stay dead. I know that may sound a little radical, probably not unique to Jewish thought. In most people's thought, when people die, they stay dead, okay? So if you see a person supposedly alive after they've died, you should think they are a ghost. Even in the Old Testament, there's a super weird account of a witch of Endor that raises Samuel's ghost, really odd and just creepy and weird, but... In Jewish thought, people who die stay dead, and if they are risen to life, they then would later die again. Think of Lazarus as the example. They are not raised to new life endlessly. The claim about Jesus, then, rising in the middle of human history, is utterly unique. Jewish people did have a concept of resurrection, that people who are physically dead would rise again. But in the Jewish mind, that resurrection was the resurrection of righteous to eternal life, the resurrection of the unrighteous to eternal judgment, and it occurred on the final day of human history before they entered the new heavens and new earth. Before the time of Jesus, if you look at the religious literature from Judaism, if you study the entire history of the world, there is not an account where the central fact is a living person dying, then rising to never die again. In fact, in Judaism, at the time of Jesus, people were actually convinced that the Messiah, when he came, would never die. That was what was most significant. In fact, the proof you were to be the Messiah would be that you couldn't be killed. And so, there were several warrior messiahs running around in about the hundred years before and the hundred years after Jesus in first century Israel. The Romans killed all of them, and when they were killed, Their followers abandoned them because their death proved, finally, they were not the Messiah they claimed to be. But in the case of Jesus, who claimed to be the Messiah, something completely different happened. He was killed by the Romans, and instead of abandoning him, people started to write songs about him as God and tell everyone they knew that he rose from the dead. Here's the point of N.T. Wright's book, how do you explain that? Something completely unexpected in Jewish theology and human history has happened. The only logical explanation is that Jesus rose from the dead. There's simply no way a community of first century Jews could have made up that story given the worldview they lived inside of. And there certainly is no way they would have then made that story up, told it the rest of their lives, and died claiming it to be true. So, let's review quickly three pieces of evidence for the resurrection, an empty tomb in Jerusalem, witnesses to the resurrected Christ from a diverse set of backgrounds, and N.T. Wright's explanation, an utterly unique story that cannot be explained apart from the resurrection of the Messiah in the middle of human history. These are three pieces of evidence that you can rest in, in this uncertain Easter season. And notice I didn't say they're proof, they're evidence. I'm not attempting to prove beyond 100% doubt that you could never raise any question. What I'm saying is these are reasonable historical claims that reasonable thinking people need to wrestle with. You need to have an explanation for these historical evidences. And for all of us who have put our hope in Jesus, I think this podcast needs to end where Paul ends his famous chapter on the resurrection, 1 Corinthians 15, where he says, Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, be steadfast and immovable always abounding in the work of the Lord because you know your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, in the season of the coronavirus 2020, be steadfast and sturdy and immovable since Jesus was raised from the dead. Since one day you will be raised from the dead, then this life isn't all there is. Since the evidences of the resurrection of Jesus are solid, you have a faith worth living and even worth dying for. So, my brothers and sisters, be Sturdy, steadfast, and immovable. Certain in the reality of the resurrection of Jesus. Friends, that's the hope of the Christian in this season of Easter. That because Jesus died and was raised, even for us, if we are to die, death has lost its sting. Because one day, like Jesus was raised, all who know him will be raised with him to new life. Stake your hope in it. Rest your life in it. And let these evidences of the resurrection encourage you in your faith in this Easter season. God bless you. Hope to see you back on the Equip podcast next time.